I like learning new ones, especially kind of when they're old ones. But we come now once again to the Word of God, and we are in the, uh, in the Beatitudes, this, the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount in chapter 5 of Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew. And Jesus is giving his um, most profound and world-changing teaching in this, in this passage. And we are going to be looking at just focusing on one verse of it. But the verse comes in the middle of the Beatitudes, and, and I'm, I'm sorry that I didn't prepare the team to be ready with, because I'm going to read the whole Beatitudes this morning, just, just for the context. And, and frankly, I'm going to do that every week that we're in it from now on, um, so that we remember what's, what we've already thought about and are also knowing what is ahead, even as we focus on something in the middle. This morning, we're going to be focusing on those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, so you can, you can pinpoint that as we get there. But uh, listen, listen to the word of the Lord. Seeing the crowds, he, Jesus, went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Let's pray. Lord, this either familiar or, or completely strange word, because it's so contrary to so much of this world. Lord, open our hearts and minds to hear it afresh and to hear you speaking to our lives with it. Guide my words, guide all of our hearts and minds, for we seek you in this time, Lord, and through your word. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. So we began last week to introduce the themes of the Sermon on the Mount, and in particular the Beatitudes, and we looked at the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, as the main theme of the whole thing. And at the most famous part of this sermon, the Beatitudes, we saw that there's, there's ultimately there's going to be eight characteristics of people who are blessed to receive that kingdom and to live in that kingdom. And last week we talked about the poor in spirit and those who mourn and the meek. But when you think about those qualities, they are, they're in essence, primarily negatives. They are about what we don't have in our poverty and in our loss and in our meekness. 
and they are they leave us asking the question if we if we turn from our depending on our own self-sufficiency our own strength if we are repenting from dependence upon ourselves what are we turning to and the heart of the gospel message is in this fourth beatitude the middle beatitude when it's understood properly blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they are satisfied they are filled so so here's the bar for our lives this is what we're aiming for this is what we're longing for this is the goal that we can't live without that that we need as much as we need our daily bread it's not it's not about us it's not about even our happiness it's about something more that we'll see when we look at what this righteousness is and that's and that's what we're going to be seeking after and then we'll receive the blessing of being satisfied of being filled and so let's look a little closer at we each one of these parts means what it means to hunger and thirst we'll look at what is this righteousness that we long for and and what does it mean to be filled blessed are those who hunger and thirst Veronica, my wife, and I have watched a few seasons of a, a, of a television show called Alone. It's a, it's a reality show, a reality contest with eight to ten contestants who are dropped off in a remote wilderness somewhere in the world. They've been on the northern part of Vancouver Island or Patagonia or Mongolia or somewhere just incredibly far from civilization. And while they are connected electronically so that they can be checked on and, and that they can ultimately call for help when they need it or to, <laughs> to give up, they, the, the, the simple premise is they just see who can last the longest with almost nothing. And they drop them off, usually at the end of the fall, the, the fishing is going to dry up soon as the winter comes, and their energy is going to dry up as well. And, and some inevitably leave due to some small accident. They, you know, you can't get an infection when you're out there or anything like that. But the last few simply keep going until they are removed due to starvation. Or they, in, in those last few, they are, they, they're simply sitting there by the fire and, and dreaming of food and of what, what, what they dream of having for that first meal when they, when they finally get back to civilization. It, it crossed my mind in the midst of watching this show that they've never put people in the desert wilderness. They, like, like the people of Israel coming out of Egypt. It, it, it would be very short contest when they couldn't find abundant fresh water. That would be even worse. But this, this is the kind of hunger and thirst this passage is talking about. This passage expresses that kind of desire, that inability to live without. But it's not food, but without righteousness. 
ultimately every single person in the universe struggles and has a fundamental need for righteousness but I have to say something here now about then what is this righteousness it is not self-righteousness it's it's not so that we can think better that we're better than everybody or or anybody this is not about an inflated ego or a broken ego which either one of which is going to disconnect us from others righteousness is about being right with another it's about being accepted it's about being welcomed and approved and received and so connected and and the need for this is universal it's all of us our oldest two kids have recently gone through or are going through the process of looking for jobs we we just want them to be accepted we want them to be chosen and think of think of first dates or looking for somebody to to love you and that you can love oh man the, the intensity of that experience or the first day in a new school or a new job or even walking into a church for the first time it's nerve-wracking because you're you're waiting for a verdict about you or from others or and and typically we choose to gravitate to people and, and standards by which we want to be measured and accepted some of us we want to be thought of as beautiful or we want to be wealthy and cool so someone will like us or or we want to be successful and admired or funny and make people laugh so that they'll feel comfortable around us or we want to even just be tough so that we could be respected it's it, it's all the same struggle for rightness or or righteousness and acceptance and if achieved hopefully we'll feel good about ourselves but we're all anxious about it either overtly anxious because you know deep down in some way we're not accepted or covertly anxious hiding the fear of not being accepted Romans 3 tells us ultimately why we're all so anxious about this in one form or another there is no one righteous not even one Paul says that's why we're all so anxious about it why it's so central to all of us but the one who enters the kingdom is the one who really openly hungers and thirsts it means you need you you admit the real need for this as as Tim Keller puts it the real reason we're all so anxious and not feeling we really ex that not feeling we're really acceptable is because we all know we're not acceptable to God the real reason for all of us is not any of the other verdicts it's not the job interview or the career position it's not the school you dream of getting into it's not the proposal to or from the one you really want to marry not any other verdict than this one the verdict from God righteousness in this passage is about acceptance from God 
It's being welcomed, approved, received by God. It's, it's standing before Him and having a positive verdict. And that, that's terrifying. That's rightly terrifying. Because He's holy and He's perfect. And we've heard of an angry God. And, and deep down or not so deep down, we've, we've tried so often to replace our need for his good verdict because we know we're not worthy of it. And the cycle of sin is perpetuated. But those who hunger and thirst for it, who keep looking to God despite that fear of him, and because they understand this God, they understand him, they understand, we understand, his anger is not of a hateful God who is looking for justification to condemn us. That's not who he is. It is the anger of his love. Anger is not the opposite of love. Indifference is the opposite of love. And that is, that frankly is so much more condemning. This anger is the frustration of a loving parent who, who sees their child doing something repeatedly to hurt themselves. Have you ever loved somebody who was enslaved to an addiction? It's that anger. It's that love. This is the hunger and thirst of the, the prodigal who has lost everything and, and is looking to home to return to his father because he hopes and believes he'll receive a meal there simply out of grace. And, and there's nowhere else to look for food. And while the father has every right to be mad at you, you know his love is the only verdict that will save you. We hunger and thirst for righteousness, this acceptance from God, knowing that we can never do enough, we can never be enough to, to earn or to achieve that love. We don't come to church because we are good and worthy of God. We come because we hunger and thirst for His love. There's an untranslatable nuance to the Greek in this passage. The, the normal language would infer that we are hungering for some righteousness, that we just want a little of God, just, just for him to let us in the door, kind of what the prodigal son was hoping, just to be a servant in the house, just to be good enough. But the unusual language is such that the hunger and thirst is for complete full, perfect righteousness, perfect acceptance, complete, absolute acceptance from God, not just as a worker bee in his house, but his child and heir. It's here that Keller points out the difference between a Christian and a moralist, a, a just religious person who may even think themselves as Christians. A moralist is a person who is very buttoned up, very morally upright, but also smug and proud and self-righteous, like, like a Pharisee. And they're the person that if you go to them with a problem, they're going to look down on you and tell you to pull yourself together. They're not, not approachable. 
A Christian is something else. This is something very strange. Keller describes a Christian saying, a Christian has a high view of truth, loves beauty, and will not excuse sin in himself or in you, has a tremendous passion for holiness and godliness, and yet is completely approachable. There's a a humility and a peace about them. You find it easy to talk to them about problems. They're not, they're not going to put you down. The, the source of the difference is this. A, a, a moralist says, yeah, I sinned, but, but look at the good things. A, a Christian says, I've sinned. I'm not worthy. I wholly trust in your grace to accept me why in the Reformed tradition when we start church, we walk in and one of the very first things we do, we recognize God's holiness and presence and then we confess our sin. Because that's who we are. John Stott in one of his books said, for the essence of sin is a man substituting himself for God. Putting himself in God's place. Trying to be in charge of his own life. While the, the essence of salvation is God substituting himself for a person. The thing is, the moment you trust completely in the grace of God for your righteousness, for your verdict from him, everything changes. You become filled. You become satisfied. All that emptiness and anxiety about being accepted by God or anyone or anything it, it is filled. It, it changes every audition. It, it changes every interview, every, every date and proposal. Because ask yourself, whose opinion counts? Is that, is that person you have a teenage crush on? Oh, I, I'm not saying that's not important and seemingly overwhelming at the moment. But put in perspective whose opinion counts. The admissions officer? The hiring manager or boss? The professor or athlete or musician that you so admire? You know whose opinion counts. And when you let yourself hunger and thirst for righteousness, for his good verdict of you, despite what you've done and who you've been, when you hunger and thirst for his good verdict... Then you see what he's done for you, the enormity of his love for you. Then you are filled with it, satisfied with it. In the coming weeks, we're going to take a look at at how this relationship with God changes all of our relationships, how we become people of mercy with pure hearts and Peace that spreads. It it, it starts with this hunger and thirst for this righteousness and God's response of love and salvation in Jesus. But it reaches in our desire and ability to be right, into our desire and ability to be right with each other as well. Not I'm right and you're wrong, but living lives of acceptance and concern for the other care and love, even for our enemies 
and those who hurt us, as well as forgiveness given and received. It's interesting doing this work of being a transitional pastor. By nature, it's a time of being in a wilderness, preparing to cross the Jordan, of preparing ourselves for a new season in a new land. And nothing characterizes the wilderness more than hungering and thirsting. This is where we're at. And I'm finding this is exactly the heart of the work that we do as a church in this time. Before we we can launch forward in a new vision and a new leadership, we, we stop and we come back to our relationship with God. And we come back to our relationships with each other. And we do the work to make sure that they are in the place of being right. That, that we're in the place of loving acceptance with each other. And we need to do that before we go forward together, together with God and together with each other. And in meeting with many of you over the past weeks, I've been honored that you've entrusted sharing with me the messiness of your own church experience. We're still sinners. And, and, and we all are very still capable of hurting each other, of, of hurting another, or of being hurt. And sometimes we need to have help working through our brokenness and hurt. I mentioned that opportunity coming up in a couple of weeks. The Presbytery has a team of people and they're, and they're specially trained ministers and counselors who are going to be here on Friday night the 27th and, and then Saturday the 28th. On Friday night, they're going to have just a short reception where they'll take a few minutes to share their hearts and, and people have the opportunity to meet them and, and greet them. But then on Saturday, they're going to be here all day and, and we're going to invite people to sign up for, for times to meet with them personally and, and so that you can share your experience, your, your hunger and thirst to be right with each other and especially when, when things haven't been that way and they, they can listen and minister to you and then after that, our leadership will meet with them to see where we're at and if there's anything else that would be beneficial to satisfy this, this preparing to move on as a congregation, to move forward as the body of Christ together. And as we continue in the Beatitudes next week, we're going to focus more on our relationships with each other and with the world. And I'll have more to say about this opportunity with the, with the Presbytery as well. But let me encourage you, if this resonates with you at all, set aside some time that weekend to be and be ready. Let your hunger and thirst for God and, and for this church. And man, I've, I've heard so much of your love for this church, even in your hurt. Um, in the past number of weeks. And I know that this opportunity is not for everyone, but it is. It is for many of us. So I want to encourage you to be ready for that. But let me wrap up this morning and this message with this. With this table that's set in front of us. Jesus gave us something very, very visible to know how we truly have our deepest hunger 
and thirst filled. The bread and the cup point to the cross and resurrection of Jesus, where we need, where our need for righteousness is filled. His body was broken for us, and his blood shed for our forgiveness and our righteousness. That's why he gave us this table to fill our hunger with the knowledge of his love for us, of his salvation for us, of his acceptance, of his welcome, of his good verdict. And in a few minutes, we're going to gather around this table as we are as a family, as his family, coming together at the dinner table to eat together and be filled. Let's, let's pray. Lord, we are so glad, so glad that we have the freedom to even recognize our own hunger and thirst because we can only face it because we know of your love and your forgiveness and grace in Jesus Christ how you died for us, that though we are not worthy, we are still loved and accepted by you. For we have not our own righteousness, but Christ's. And you clothe us with it, and you fill us with it. Lord, thank you that we can come to the throne of grace in the full confidence of our forgiveness and your love. Guide us to live in just that place. And even, even in our current world, our current brokenness, as a world, as people, as a church, whatever that state of brokenness is, we, we look to you and we, are know, we know the satisfaction of being filled by your grace. God, may that, may that bleed into every aspect of our lives. And, and we be truly free from any fear and truly filled in every way. Lord, guide us now as we come to a time of, of simply standing before you as the offering is taken and standing before you and giving ourselves in gratitude for your filling. Receive our tithes and our offerings but receive our hearts now as we look to you as we now take our morning offering. Lord, thank you. We pray all this in the blessed name of Jesus our Lord. Amen.